Well, thank you uh, for the prayers and thank you for your welcome and uh, your farewells. Uh, I will be finishing officially at the end of Thursday uh, this coming week. Uh, it's been a wonderful ride, if you like. Uh, it's a wonderful journey here at Rivers. We've seen some wonderful things. Uh, I could tell you stories after stories of seeing people transformed in front of me as I've been able to guide and direct and, and walk a journey with them as they find healing and wholeness in their lives. And that's been such a joy. To see people change is the, is the greatest joy. Uh, seeing, seeing undercover areas or kitchens or things done, that's not the greatest joy. The greatest joy is seeing people transformed and uh, following Jesus. And for me, if I get to help someone look to God a bit better or follow Jesus a bit closer, that's a good job done. We, uh, people are asking, what are you doing next? Well, we're living at Scarborough. And uh, <laughs> I've already spoken to uh, Walter, the pastor at Redcliffe, so I'm going to go and, and support him a bit for a while. And uh, I'm going to take a break, but I'm... The funeral directors are already ringing. Uh, and uh, if you would pray for me this week, I'm conducting the funeral for the girl, the 16-year-old girl who was found in that barrel. And um, so I've been spending time with that family and that's a, a quite a hairy uh, situation. So I uh, appreciate your prayers uh, for that. Uh, but I love looking after people in their grief, as you know. This week is the last in the series, and I get to, to uh, preach in the last in the series of the Spirit and the Mission. And uh, we've heard at our combined service, for those who are unaware, we had a combined service outside a few weeks ago. And as I spoke from Matthew 9, as Ray quoted today, and then we heard from Adam James, who shared some testimony of what was happening from Cup from Above and his ministry there. And then last week we heard from uh, Tim who gave us some practical tips on how to live out mission. Well, I want to uh, seal the deal, if you like, uh, this week from Acts 4. And it's quite a wonderful story as we read this account of when uh, Peter and John had been arrested. Uh, they'd been arrested because they were proclaiming Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus and proclaiming it to people that the resurrection from the dead is something that each of us who believe in him will experience the resurrection from our dead, uh, death in sin, but also eventually we will be resurrected into eternity uh, with a brand new body. And as I've said so many times, I'm going to be looking forward to getting rid of this 1962 model and getting a brand new E, which will be uh, <laughs> quite a good thing. And a number of people are going like this. I hope that's not about me, but uh, I hope that's about your own body. Uh, Josh is having a big, a big nod. But we see in this, um, in this scripture that they were released after being uh, arrested and faced the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin were a, a group of rabbis that would come together to, put, to give judgment over issues and they were released by the Sanhedrin, but they were released under threat, not to proclaim the name of Jesus anymore. But they were declaring things like salvation, 
is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given by, to mankind by which we must be saved. It was that name, that name of Jesus, that they were proclaiming the truth of the gospel. And it's that message that we are uh, called to give in our communities, here in our immediate communities. And if we read earlier in Acts, it says, then the ha and power, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And God calls us to the uttermost parts of the earth. He calls us into other lands. He calls us into our neighbourhoods. He calls us into our workplaces. He calls us. And I know, and I've been reminded uh, recently as I was doing, I'm doing my master's degree in, in my leadership subject, that uh, at an intensive in Sydney the week before last, uh, I was reminded that my call is not primarily to a position. My call is to the giftings that God has placed in my life and no matter where I am, whether it's in the, in the gutter with someone who is homeless or in a boardroom with someone uh, who is on the a company board, my gifting is the call that, to which God has, has brought me. So to be able to pastor people and to shepherd them and to love them, and as you know, I love people and I love to love people and I'll freely give it as much as I can but it's the call to that which God has placed in us that we take with us. So my call is not to be primarily to be the senior pastor of Rivers Church of Christ, although God brings me here. My call is that he has placed the gift of pastor on me. And there are other gifts as well. But that's the call for all of us, isn't it? And I've got to be careful because we've got limited time. But this is my last time, so it doesn't really matter, does it? I can, <laughs> I can get into trouble as much as they like. But Peter and John, they were, after they were released, they gathered with a bunch of people and they prayed. And in the story, we read something that is really pertinent to us today, something that relates to us today. And it was then they prayed. And there are five little things that I just want to bring out of this passage today. And um, let me see if my thingy works. And the first one is the answer. They prayed and they got an answer. For they, we read in verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place in which they, they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. It was the answer. To their prayer. Imagine if we prayed here today and the whole place was shaken. That'd be exciting, wouldn't it? And it probably, and we don't know whether it was an earthquake or whatever it was, but the place in which they were was physically shaken. Now, was this a once-off sort of incident or once-off experience with the Holy Spirit there in chapter 4? Well, I want to say that or show you that it's not a once-off experience for there are parallels of this experience in chapter 4 with the experiences on the day of Pentecost in chapter 2. For what happened at the day of Pentecost, they prayed as well. Here, they had just prayed. There on the day of Pentecost, they had been praying, if we read in verse 14 of chapter 1, and I haven't got them all on the screen. And there it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. In uh, Acts 2, 4, it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. 
So here we are in chapter 4, and they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. In a day of Pentecost, they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. Here in this chapter, this verse, um, God shakes the building to demonstrate his power. There in Acts 2, a sound came from heaven like a mighty rushing wind. And I could tell you an actual incident in the Solomon Islands in, during revival when that happened in churches. Here in uh, chapter 4, they speak the word of God with boldness. In, in the day of Pentecost, they began to speak in other tongues the great things of God. So there are parallels between chapter 4 and chapter 2. You see, Pentecost was the first great outpouring of the Spirit on the church. And here is another one in chapter 4. In both, God gives physical demonstrations of his power. Does God give physical demonstrations of his power today? Yes, he does. I see it from time to time and quite often as I spend time with people and I says, as I see them released from a lot of their pain and the journey that they're in and I see the demeanour of their face and their body change in front of me as they find freedom and release. That's a demonstration openly of the power of God in someone's life. As I've prayed for people in their, in their sickness and, and they say, the pain is gone. I remember praying for one lady here who had pleurisy and by the time she got home it was completely healed. That's the physical open demonstration of the power of God. And in, in both of these instances he gives the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a he. He is part of who God is. God the Holy Spirit. God in Jesus. God, uh, Jesus is God the Son, and there is God the Father, and they're all one together. And the Holy Spirit isn't just an it or a force, like something you plug into the wall and you get a lead, and you get uh, a light at the end of the lead. No, he is a dynamic, living person who wants to engage in our lives. And when we receive Christ into our lives, he comes to dwell within us. But there are times when he comes in a fullness, just like here. In both of these uh, instances, he releases courageous speaking and open speaking, whether it's speaking in other tongues or speaking the word of God with boldness. It's these vocal things that come as a result of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Whatever Pentecost is, it is not a unique, or it is not unique as an outpouring of the Spirit uh, to the church for witness. The blessing of Pentecost would happen in different ways and in different measures through Acts and through the rest of church history. And we could quote time and time and time again where God visits his people and God brings the fullness of the Holy Spirit. This is something we desperately need today. This is something that the church desperately needs in our Western world. And we are called to pray. We are called to pray because of that desperate need. This outpouring of the Holy Spirit is exactly uh, and desperately needed in the church in Australia. As we see such a decline in people coming to be connected with the church and connected with Jesus, and we'll talk about why that is a little bit in a minute. 
But if you notice in this story, these people weren't people that were just ones who were in need or were doubting or were faithless. They weren't people who were having struggles. Do you, do you understand? Some of them, Peter and John, had just uh, been spectacularly obedient, pronouncing the name of Jesus and being arrested and put in jail because of that. In fact, verse 8 said that Peter had been filled with the Holy Spirit when he stood up to speak in the courtroom. And now he and the other praying saints are, are filled again in this extraordinary way. Even if you love many things uh, about rivers and love many things about the nation in which you live and think that God's blessing is on us, this is what we need. This is what rivers needs. This is what the church needs, is an outpouring and an infilling of the Holy Spirit. And I can get excited today because I'm leaving. <laughs> and maybe you'll say, phew, we're glad he's gone. We need it badly. Because the need and the hardness of the world is so great. You see, this filling of the Holy Spirit is not just for us. It's not just so that we get some uh, rush or we get some experience and we can then uh, skite about, now I've got the infilling of the Holy Spirit, look at me. Not at all. It's not just for a struggling church, it's for every church. It's not just for the church to get its, jo its jollies. It's so that we would be people who would speak the word of God with boldness and that we would enter the mission that God has called us to, to bring the love and the light of Christ into the world in which we live. Not just in our home, not just to our neighbour, not just to our workplace, not just in our church, but our whole community, the whole of the nation of Australia and into the nations of the earth. And I want to challenge each of us today to ask that question, God, wherever you send us, use me in the giftings that you have given in my life. And where is it that you're sending me? Is it here to Kalanga? Is it to Queensland? Is it to Australia? Or is it to another country? Wherever you send me, I will go there. Whatever you want me to do, I will do that. And whatever it costs me, I will give it so that the name of Jesus will be proclaimed. And even if they want to put me in prison, even if they want to lock me up, I will still proclaim the name of Jesus and his resurrection. The second thing we see, phew, that was a big one, isn't it? The prayers. Now there was the prayer, but these are the prayers, the people who prayed. This prayer is important because of who's praying it. Verse 23 says, When they, Peter and John, were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they had heard it, they lift up, lifted their voices together to God and said. Luke doesn't say, no, Luke wrote Acts. Luke doesn't say that they went to the other apostles, does he? No. He says they went to their friends. And literally in the Greek language it says to their own. The word used for this 
is uh, used another time in Acts, in uh, chapter 24, verse 23, when the Apostle Paul was arrested by Felix and placed in prison for proclaiming the name of Jesus. Well, he was uh, arrested by the centurion on behalf of Felix. And he, Felix then issued a command, don't prevent Paul's friends from coming to visit with him. Don't prevent his family and his friends. Don't prevent his own from coming to visit with him. It's also used in John 1.11 when Jesus, it says, Jesus came to his own and his own did not receive him. Do you remember that verse? It's the same verse, uh, same word used for friends as his own. So when we talk about Jesus in that context, his friends, his family, his close associates, his neighbours did not receive him. Therefore, this prayer is for now to us because it is prayed not by someone with special gifts and privileges. Peter and John went to their friends and they all prayed together. You don't need to be a pastor, you don't need to be an elder, you don't need to have some sort of title to pray the prayer. This is for the believer. The believer who prays the prayer for God to come in his fullness. And God calls his whole church to do that very thing. It is the church gathered, you see. And church isn't the building. Church isn't this thing that we are sitting under. Church is the people. Because the church are the people who believe in Christ. That's you. You are the church. And so he calls for us to, to, to pray. And to pray that God would give boldness to heal and to do signs and wonders. Ooh, ah, ouch. Didn't that happen just back in Acts? It's nice to read the story and make us feel comfortable and nice, but then we pray the prayer ourselves to heal and to do signs and wonders. Stephen in Acts 8 and Philip in Acts... Act, uh, oh, sorry, Stephen in Acts 6 and Philip in Acts 8, both of whom... God used to do signs and wonders weren't de were just deacons. They weren't apostles. They were an evangelists. So the prayer is for us because who prayed it? People like you and me. This is our mission. There is an occasion. I just thought I felt spelled occasion wrong, but I didn't. Here is the occasion. Following, this is, this is following the threats of the religious leaders that happened to Peter and John. They'd just been released from custody. In verse 23, it says, they told the other believers specifically what the chief priests and elders had said. And they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Verse 18. And after further threats... They let them go. What are the threats? Well, we read later in Acts that I think it was James that had his head, his head cut off. We read in other places where some of the guys were stoned or, or killed for their faith. These were the threats. How do we stand up under threat? I wonder if someone came in this building today with a gun and said... Deny Jesus or I'm going to shoot you. What would you do? 
I've got grandchildren and Barbara and my son Josh and what's the temptation? Let's run. Run away. Run away from the threat. But these guys didn't run away from the threat. They didn't go silent. He, they, they, they were told not to preach the name of Jesus, but under that threat they prayed. Peter and John had just told them about the threats that they'd had in verses 18 and 21. They told them about them. So the occasion for this prayer is very dangerous. It's a dangerous time for all of them because this is when the church is in its infancy. The church has about 3,000 in it by this time because they, pre they preached after uh, the day of Pentecost and 3,000 souls were added to their number in one day. Imagine that. hope they had the follow-up packs ready. <laughs> Michael knows about that. <laughs> um, there were extraordinary obstacles in their way of spreading the name of Jesus. This is why the church is so, is so in need of urgent prayer. They do not assume that they can keep on and advance in effective ministry without a fresh baptism in the Holy Spirit. And when we call baptism in the Holy Spirit, we are saying, God, immerse me in you. So the fresh immersion in the Holy Spirit, fear could paralyze them at any moment. When the threats come, it would be easy to run away. And so the baptism or the, the infilling of the Holy Spirit was not just to get the experience. It was for empowering them under threat. It was for empowering them to be bold in the proclamation of Jesus and his resurrection. What would you do under such a threat? What would I do under such a threat? For each of us, it's tempting to run. So this prayer is for us because of its occasion. We can face tremendous obstacles in our world today. Even in the Western world, we can face obstacles. In many countries in the world, uh, people are being persecuted for their faith. And there's hundreds of thousands of people every year who are being killed because they're Christians. Hundreds of thousands of them. It's the recognised now, Christianity is recognised as the most persecuted faith in the world because of the hundreds of thousands of people who are standing for their faith and being murdered because of it. In Australia... Persecution is increasing. It's increasing in, the, in restricting our freedoms. It's, it's increasing because our freedoms are narrowing as secular people feel more and more threatened by a message that there is no way to God and one set of commandments valid for all, no other way to God, that there is only one name by which we must be saved. But even short of persecutions, the obstacles that we face... Uh, making Christ known are great. With our neighbourhoods and everybody cocooning in their own houses in the anonymity of our neighbours, we don't know who they are anymore. It's created by the transience and the mobility of people all of the time. You're in a house for a short period and moving on, moving on, moving on, and so we don't build the relationships. The entertainment industry keeps us focused on entertainment. And so we forget who God might be. It numbs us to the spiritual things. We live in a, cult, a thoroughly culture-ignoring 
society. We don't need God because we've got everything we need. We don't need God because we can just go and get an interest-free loan and get it now and pay it off later. We, we don't need anything because it's so easily accessible and it doesn't matter. We've got everything that we need. The problem is people don't realise that that insatiable desire to get stuff is the insatiable desire to look for the everlasting, but you can't find it in a TV. You can't find it in a house or a car. We can only find the, the realisation of the everlasting through Christ. Medical technology is so advanced and so available that people seldom think of resorting to God for help. And there's nothing wrong with medical technology. I'm a recipient of it. I'm in full remission because of it. But sometimes we rely on that more than we rely on God. And on top of all of this, there is this sense of the, the weakness of the church which has been very enmeshed with the values of the world. We are supposed to confront the world with the radically different Christ and the radically different uh, message you see, and I think alternative to that or uh, opposite to that, the, the church that is alive is tending to bunker down in their own churches and hide away from the world and, and try to keep safe, try to keep everything inside the walls so that it's nice and safe. Well, I want to tell you that we need a church without walls. We need a church that reaches through the walls. We need a church that reaches into people's hearts. We need a church that is fulfilling the mission to connect with people's lives and let them know that they're loved and cared for and valued and they belong somewhere when they are feeling like they don't belong anywhere. We need a church like that, a church that's fulfilling its mission. I remember an old hymn that we used to sing, and I think it's a lot of crock. Hold the fort for I am coming. And it's talking about, hold the fort for Jesus is coming. What a lot of crock. We're not holding any fort. We're getting out and we're going to win on the battlefield. That's talking about get holding it inside and let's all be safe together. Oh, what a lot of nonsense. God calls us into the streets, into the fields. God calls us into the highways and byways. God calls us to where anybody is and to care for them and to love them and to bring the light of Christ to their life and to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. Now that I got that out. <laughs> the, the people in the first world there, in that first century cried out to God for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit on their situation. How much more do we need it today? Third thing, the focus of their prayer. The focus of their prayer was that they declared who God is. God was the focus of their prayer. It's remarkable that it takes five verses for these Christians to tell God who he is and two verses to ask from him what they want if you want to have a read of that. Now, God doesn't need to be told who he is. He's not that dumb. But Christians need to know who he is. We need to know who he is. We need to know him. In our three things here at Rivers, it says knowing, growing, and going. 
We need to know who he is. If you don't know who Jesus is today, he is inviting you to come into a relationship with him so that you might know who he is. Precisely in their prayers, they need to know and confess that he is the kind of God who can and will answer their prayers. In essence, what they're doing in verses 24 to 28 is hallowing God's name before they say, thy kingdom come. Remember the, uh, the Lord's Prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. What they're doing is hallowing his name. He is a hallowed God. He is a holy God. He is that God we revere. See, they identify God in two different ways. First, they say that he is a creator of all things. I think I've got the yes, here it is. They creator of all things. Um, they know, sorry, sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. So they appeal to him as the creator of all. They know that if God created everything on earth, the seas and the heavens, that then these elders and priests are his property. These ones, these Sanhedrin, these ones who oppose them, he knew that they were God's property and then God could do with them whatever he pleases. You see? Second, they say that God is the one who is ruler over all, even the deeds of evil men. I think I didn't put that one on. Anyway. I, I, I uh, didn't change the second one. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> if we put, if we understand that when he says he brings to nothing the rage of the Gentiles and empties the plans of his adversaries, they're saying, they say this by quoting Psalm 2 in verses 25 and 26, and then by showing that the psalm was fulfilled in the way God was in control when evil men killed Jesus. Through the mouth of your, our father David, your servant said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain and the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers uh, were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed? You see, they were saying that God was in control of them as well. They were saying that they would bring Jesus and would plot against and would bring to nothing the rage of the Gentiles. They would bring to nothing uh, all of that and, they would, and God would bring his anointed Jesus to bear. For it says in verses 27, 28, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Excuse me. You see, what was happening, Pontius Pilate and Herod, with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, that's the conspiracy of the, nature, of the nations, mentioned in Psalm 2, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. That's how God turned their rage into a vain thing that accomplished his saving purpose. He turned the Gentiles' rage into nothing so that he could bring forth his saving purpose. 
that sounds pretty convoluted and a bit confusing, doesn't it? In other words, just like the psalm says, why do the Gentiles rage and the people imagine a vain thing? In verse 25 of our text, their rage comes to nothing and their imagination is empty because God rules even over the sinful deeds of men and causes them to backfire. Jesus is risen and the stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. All their rage and all their imagination has been turned back onto their own head. That's what he's saying. And that's what the prayer says. Now remember, all this is prayer. All this before asking for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. All of this. And here is what makes it right for us today, or relevant for us today in our praying. Many would tell us that things like doctrine and theology are unimportant and all we need is the experience of the Holy Spirit. Well, I want to tell you that good doctrine is really important. To know who God is, to grow in who God is, to grow in our relationships together because of who God is helps us to understand who God is and out of that understanding and on that foundation, he pours out his spirit upon us. And that's not to say that we've got to get it all together beforehand. That's not to say that we've got to know everything beforehand. No, but the foundation of good doctrine and good theology is important. These Christians in the early church knew better than that, better than saying that doctrine's not important. For them, the doctrine of creation, the doctrine of the scriptures, the doctrine of God being over all or his sovereignty, even over the voluntary acts of sinful people, a knowledge of the Old Testament prophecy, all of these things were essential. For you see, the spirit of God is the spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit brings us into all truth. He's not indifferent to bad ideas. And I'm not saying that we got all our doctrine right in the church, no. Uh, I think it was J.I. Packer said, you've got to try and find the needle of truth in the, in the haystack of error. And sometimes our errors can be look like more of a haystack. And we haven't got it all right, have we? Sometimes we've got to realise that sometimes we, mm, yeah, it's not so right after all. And we've got to swallow our spiritual pride a little bit and realise that we got it wrong. If we want his fullness, we will do well to fill our minds with the truth that he has revealed about God in Scripture. Then we will pray more like the early Christians. And so that goes from knowing to growing. We grow in our knowledge of God. And the last one, yay. Ha, I went over. <laughs> surprise, surprise. I won't be long. There is the request. In verse 29, they arrive at their request. Now, Lord, after all that we've said, consider their threats. Those guys that are threatening us and the threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. That's their first requests. Take note, Lord. Hey, Lord. Take note what's at stake with their threats. 
They've commanded me us not to speak of your son's name anymore. That is what is at stake here. So rouse yourself because nothing is of greater interest to you than the honour of your son. Lord, Lord, rise up. Lord, we're bringing this to your attention. Look on their threats, Lord. Look on those things that are against us and pour out your spirit upon us. And this is the the kind of argument in the court of heaven. Here is why you should help us. Their threats are against your son's reputation. Here is what we need so that we do not cave into their threats. That's what they're saying. We need your strength. We need your help. We need you. How many times have you cried out to God, we need you or I need you? Verse 29 to 30. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Now, Lord, can... Oh, it's doubled up. Um, Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Stretch out your hand to heal and to perform signs and wonders. They ask for three things, that God would give them boldness, that he would stretch out his hand to heal, and that he would cause signs and wonders to happen, all through the name of Jesus. All through the name of Jesus. That God, you would give us boldness, that you would stretch out your hand to heal people through us, and that you would cause signs and wonders to happen through us, through your church. In other words, their desire is to be empowered in such, the, in such a way that the name of Jesus would be vindicated. That's what it says. So, how does it happen for us? This is very relevant for us. This is very real for us, that we should be seeking the power of God's Spirit. We should be praying for it like they were and remember that Jesus says, don't lose heart. Ask or seek, knock, ask. Is that the right way? Ask, seek, knock. In, the, in the, the Gospels, he says, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking for the Holy Spirit to come, for the Holy Spirit in your life. If we are to fulfill the mission of God in this world, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the outpouring of his spirit again and again and again. And we needed him to come and shake where we live, shake in our hearts, shake our theology, shake our attitudes, shake our our laziness, shake our apathy. And to shake us from the bootstraps so that we would be people who would fulfill his mission in this world and people will come and know the light of Jesus Christ in their life and the forgiveness and the mercy and the love that he has for us. It's not something to be kept to ourselves. It's to be given into the lives of other people. And so we pray, oh God, that you would give us boldness, that you would use us to heal, and that you would perform your signs and wonders through us as we lay our hands on people, as we speak to people, as we minister to people, as we love people, that you would come in your might and in your power and in your presence so that they would know you. And even if they threaten us, we're not going to back down. I got that off my chest. Hmm. This is for us today. Not for an introspective people who are merely interested in unusual experiences. 
but for a people who long for the salvation of sinners and the magnifying of God's glory and for the public vindication of Jesus' name. It is, it is this that we want. Then this is the way to pray. We can't stop at knowing. We can't stop at growing. We must be going. And there's one last thing I want to just share with you. How do we do it? Sometimes we speak to God and the Holy Spirit and just say, do it for me. Do it to me. And we stop there. Do it for me, Lord. And we stop there. And his response to us is, do it with me. Do it with me. Partner with me in the gospel. Partner with me and let me call you into the places that you need to go into the highways, into the byways, into the nations of the earth, wherever I would call you, do it with me. And my question is, will you? Will you do it with him? I want to do it with him. Let's pray. Oh God, our Father, today, as we hear your word, as we see this story in the, in the book of Acts, for your early church. It's so easy to say, oh no, that was just for then. But we realize, dear God, it is for now. That you want to touch people's lives in supernatural ways. That you want to heal people in supernatural ways. And you want to confirm your word with signs and wonders following. We know that that's what you want. And so, dear God, as your church, we say, do it with us. We want to partner with you. Pray over every single person in this church today, dear God, that you would connect with them, guide them, direct them, infill them with your spirit, dear Lord, and shake us. Shake us, Holy Spirit. Shake us physically, shake us spiritually, shake us emotionally, shake us psychologically so that we might be ones who are filled with the Spirit and would speak the Word of God with boldness. God bless Rivers Church of Christ. Do it in your fullness, dear Lord. Shake out the errors, shake out the things of each of our lives so that your truth might come. We pray this. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you would like prayer this morning, if you would like to...